Welcome to Uncovered. It's Wednesday, that means that it's me, Anthony Davis, and him, Ron Filipkowski, and together we uncover the MAGA propaganda that is not covered by the mainstream media, which seems to be increasingly letting us down at the moment, Ron. I don't know if you've really noticed, but there's this kind of huge gap. Uh, we'll come to that a little bit later. We've got lots to talk about, some major breaking news today. Uh, firstly, the stepping down of Mitch McConnell, GOP Senate leader. We'll come to that in just a second. But first, the biggest breaking news story that we should really start this episode on is the fact that Donald Trump does not have the money, that Donald Trump is broke. He cannot pay up. He owes, what is it, $450 million? Yeah. Well, this is pretty funny because it completely contradicts everything that he said in his deposition, everything Alina Habah has been saying. You know, when she was first asked about this, you know, does, does Trump have the money? Can he put this up? Oh, yes, no problem. She said specifically, he's a billionaire many times over. This won't be a problem. Trump said it won't be a problem. And look, part of his whole facade, part of his whole persona is to come across as this billionaire, this highly successful billionaire. And we've all said for many years that this is not real. He's he's leveraged to the hilt. This is He's not liquid. He claimed to have $400 million cash in the bank. Then when it comes time to put it up, to file his appeal, he doesn't have it. He says, I can come up with $100 million and I need more time. And by the way, breaking about 10 minutes ago, the appeals court actually ruled on this, on his request for more right. time. They, they denied it. Um, and yeah. what they did is they, they denied the stay. They said, nope, we are not going to delay this. You've got whatever it is, five more days, I think he's got to put up the money. Or... Uh, or, you know, they're going to allow to start seizing your properties. Um, they did grant the stay only a limited. They said, we will allow you to continue to operate your businesses and to try and secure loans or financing on them. So we're not going to seize control of your businesses, but we are not going to delay you putting up the money. Let's take a quick clip of uh, Alina Harbour doing this. Exactly what you said. Oh, he's a billionaire. They're all covering for him. Here she is. My goodness. Just a little. My goodness. Um, <laughs> so Judge Engeron says that he wants this $350 million within 30 days. Now, I know that you're planning on appealing this, but you've still right. got to put up the full amount pending that appeal. Does Donald Trump so. have that kind yeah. of money sitting around? Yes. I mean, he does. Of course, he has money. You know, he's a billionaire. Um, we know that. Um, and of course, he has money. It's, you know, specifics are not something that these kind of Republican operatives are very interested in. No. I mean, she said, of course, he's a billionaire. He's got money. No problem. Uh, I mean, if there's any time that if you have money, you're going to use it, it's going to be right now. Yeah. Put up the financing to save your business center, your business empire. And for some reason, he can't come up with the cash. Now, he claims Miralago is worth 1.5 billion is what he claims, which is a preposterous number. Yeah. But why doesn't he do like a, a home refinance? He, he, he clearly could, could easily get $400 million loan on that property equity loan and put up this bond if it's really worth that much. So I, I, mean, don't, I don't know what the, he, the other problem is that he's burnt his bridges Problems. with lenders, right? The, the the idea that he can just go out like any other businessman and 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 get a loan is is now compromised by nature of the fact that he has been he's in front of so many judges there are so many legal cases against him and the fact that you know he's a lot of his money previously came from 
Saudi Arabia, potentially, came from Russia. Some people say that. And even Chinese loans. I mean, what's the what's the reality here in terms of his ability to, to actually get finance? Well, really, the only bank that would do business with him when he was in deep financial trouble was Deutsche Bank, you know, and, and, and yeah. he had kind of burned his bridges with a lot of other banks. They wouldn't do business with him. And, and they were the ones who stepped up and provided all of these loans that are in question in this particular case. But they they won't they won't do business with him anymore either. Um, so I'm not really sure. I I kind of tend to believe if I had to bet on something that there's going to be some sort of private person, maybe that's going to come forward with a vast fortune who's a right winger somewhere. Um, who knows? Maybe even Elon Musk will uh, <laughs> you know will give him like a personal loan. I don't know, but obviously he's a very high risk individual to fork over that kind of cash to. Letitia James has said that she will seize assets. I mean, she could go after his properties. Trump Tower, there's the building that she looks at out of her office every day that she referred to one time. But there's also, I mean, he owns a Boeing 757. I mean, that's got to be worth 50 million or something. I mean, you know, what are the chances of of a debt collector actually showing up and, and seizing his assets? I think she's prepared to to do that at as early as possible. Um, and I just got to believe that he's going to do everything he possibly can, whatever that is, to come up with this bond money. I mean, he could go through a bonding company, but there again, here's the problem. You know, he's got to pay them a premium, um, which is going to be a, a big chunk of change. That's non-refundable. He's never going to get that back. So that's going to be gone. And he's got to put up the collateral for the for the balance of it. And then he's got to find a company willing to do it. Um, so uh, I, I don't know. I, I just got to believe that he's going to somehow come up with the money because he always has seemed to, over the course of his life and his career, found a way to come up with some money somewhere. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he can't, I don't know how he could sell a huge property that fast. Yeah. And I don't know whether he has enough, that many properties that aren't leveraged, you know, that don't have big loans on them or, or they're liquid. I'm hoping that this run is really embarrassing for him. You know, this, this, the idea, because this is the thing that hurts him the most, right? The, the, the veil, you know, being pulled aside and all of these, you know, this fabrication projection about being the, the, the richest, the biggest, the tallest, the wealthiest. It, it, it's all garbage. And, and, and this is a very public exposure of the fact that it, he is, you know, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. And, and we're seeing really why he was so panicked, why he was so freaked out by that trial and why he went so crazy and yeah. his con- was constantly ranting and raving on social media at gag orders, you know, threats, because the, the, he didn't have the money. He doesn't have the money to pay if he loses. So that means assets being seized. And you know, what could be more humiliating for him than, you know, Trump Tower being seized by the state of New York yeah. um, because he can't come up with the money for the appeal? Um, you know, the reality is every, every, what they say in the press, we've, we've done this drill before is all nonsense. What they say when they get put under oath, when they get in courtrooms, whether it's on the election fraud stuff, whether it's January 6th stuff, or whether it's on Trump's money, every time they get under oath or get in a courtroom, then, you know, the real truth, the real truth comes out. Yeah. Um, there you go. You're back. Uh, 
what what I think is also interesting here is that so many of his properties are under license. So the brand name might say Trump, but they're not actually his. And so it gives the impression that he is, you know, got all of all of these all of these assets, but actually they're not his at all. And and you know, some of these companies that that pay him the the, the brand license fee to put I don't I don't know the specifics. I, I, I have a feeling maybe the Trump Hotel Las Vegas might be one of these that is under license. But the reality is it, it makes him look like he has more than he does. But actually, these are other companies that have the debt and, you know, have the have the asset. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, sure. I, I mean, he's able to use these games, these accounting tricks on paper yeah. to make himself look wealthier than he really is. Right. But he's not. Um, yeah. What What are the chances of him coming to you know the, the the Trump cult, the the Trump voters, and asking for money for this very specific issue? Because you know I, I want to show this clip of Lara Trump at the RNC when she was asked, "Do you think that you know paying for Trump's legal bills is something of interest to Republican voters?" Let's just see how she responded. You think paying for uh, President Trump's legal bills is something that would is, is of interest to Republican voters? Absolutely. That's why you see the GoFundMe get started. That's why people are furious right now when they see the attacks against him. They feel like it's an attack not just on Donald Trump, but on this country. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's all just projection, isn't it? But, you know, the, the reality is he, he needs the money and he does go after the, these you know, regular people giving them, you know, giving him their their last dime. They they'll do that for him. And in this case, you know, he could set up a GoFundMe overnight. Well, he not him, but somebody on his behalf already has. I think they've raised about a million dollars so far, a little right. over. But you know, that barely covers the interest. So yeah. you know, that's not really getting him very far as far as being able to pay pay anything off. Now, what's interesting about her statement that she just gave is, you know, what I said is you don't come right out and say what she just said. You don't tell everybody before the vote and the vote on the RNC is next week as far as if she's going to get elected chair. Right. You don't you don't you don't tell them <laughs> ahead of time. I'm going to take all the money and give it to Trump, you know, give it to my father in law, because what happened is, of course, she said that and and. At least several of the members of the RNC who are going to be voting on this have introduced a resolution um, trying to block this, saying that yeah. no no money can go to Trump, no money can go to his legal bills. Um, and in fact, anybody that's connected to the Trump campaign right now cannot hold office with the RNC. So, I mean, whether that'll fly or not, I don't know. But the point is, you know, Laura Trump has no idea what she's doing. She has no qualifications whatsoever. She doesn't know how to play this game. And she just showed it in that in that interview by just coming out and blurting those things out, which is sheer stupidity. And, and the people on the RNC are are justifiably alarmed. They're saying, well, wait a minute. This isn't this isn't what the RNC is for to be a slush fund for Donald Trump. So that meeting next week of the RNC is going to be really, really interesting, not just to see if Laura Trump gets elected. I assume she probably will. But what happens with those resolutions trying to block her from being able to, you know, funnel money to Trump? And thinking about it, you know, Rona McDaniel is no saint herself. But if Lara Trump becomes the head of the RNC, then that can contributes to the collapse of, of, of the GOP, of the Republican Party as we know it. Because 
you know, we, we, we've spoken so many times, and even Joe Biden says, you know, it's, it's not it's not your father or your grandfather's Republican Party anymore. You know, the more that Trump infiltrates the GOP, whether it be at the RNC or whether it be in Congress or anywhere else, it is contributing to the collapse of the traditional conservative movement. And I can only imagine that if Lara Trump gets her fingers into the RNC, then that will only continue. Yeah, and this is what I said. It's not like Ronna McDaniel is any superstar or was anything great, but at least she tried to play it straight. She yeah. tried. She understood what the role of the job was. She tried to placate Trump as much as she could, but always kept him at arm's length. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is gonna this takeover by Trump is gonna turn the RNC into an illegitimate organization and an organization that's not going to help Republicans across the board and across the country. It's only going to exist to help Donald Trump. And that's that's not what it's there for. And that will mean that will be yet another thing in November or leading up to November that will be damaging for the Republican vote. Because I'm sure with Laura Trump in charge, they'll be in disarray. It'll be chaos, probably very similar to the first Trump administration where nobody really knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, I think that the person who's really going to run the day-to-day operations is the guy from North Carolina who's the state party chair um, that he's installed there. But I I think he's put Laura Trump there to keep an eye on him and keep him loyal and make sure that he's doing what he's supposed to do. Um, So I don't think she's necessarily going to be running the day-to-day stuff, but but I'm not sure that any of the people he's bringing in are going to do anything for any of the other candidates. I think that they'll 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 do a, a reasonably good job for Donald Trump and they'll do everything that they can to help his campaign. Yeah. But as far as helping anybody else out around the country, that's just not going to happen. We'll come back to Trump in a minute because I, I want to talk about, you know, the, those sneakers, you know, the gold sneakers and how, you know, <laughs> there's this rhetoric that, oh, you know, black people will buy it because they love sneakers. And also Trump saying that, you know, he he's like black people because he's being persecuted. I mean, just you couldn't make this stuff up. We'll come back to that in a minute. First, let's talk about this other breaking news story, which is that Mitch McConnell, the uh, the leader of the... GOP in the Senate is announced that he's to be stepping down in November. Is anyone surprised? Um, no, it was coming at some point. I think just it came out of the blue. There was no sort of lead up to it. Um, and and it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Of course, MAGA is all celebrating. You know, yeah, the people that are most excited or most happy about this are are the MAGA Republican people because they hate Mitch and they've wanted Mitch gone and Trump hates Mitch. So they're happy. But, you know, of course, what they want is to have one of their own installed as as the Senate leader and what who they want is Rick Scott. I mean, there's been a few other names tossed around that are not realistic, like Rand Paul, people yeah. like that. Uh, somebody crazy like Rand Paul couldn't get any votes. It's it's going to I think it's going to come down to either John Thune, who is, you know, Mitch McConnell's right hand man. That's certainly the establishment guy very conservative, but establishment versus Rick Scott, who's going to be the Trump aligned sort of MAGA aligned person here. And that's really what it's going to come down to. So that's going to be an interesting battle right there. Of course, that battle won't happen until November because he's not stepping down from leadership until November. But that's one thing. You know, the other thing is to the legacy of Mitch McConnell is something that, you know, to sort of step back and look at. I think if you ask Mitch McConnell, you know, what, what was your greatest achievement? 
he would say reshaping the federal judiciary, you know, with the Bush appointees and then the, the Trump appointees where he hooked up with you know, Leonard Leo and they completely transformed the judiciary, not yeah. just the Supreme Court, but the judiciary as a whole. So I think if you asked him, that's what that's what he would say. What I would say is his greatest failure by far is January 6th and the second impeachment. I mean, um, look, impeachment failed by, I think, only nine votes. I think they needed eight or nine more votes to get impeachment passed and, and to convict him. And then we wouldn't be sitting here worried about Donald Trump right now if the second impeachment had had gone through. And Mitch McConnell was the tipping point there. I mean, he was giving every indication that he was going to vote to convict. Every speech he gave, every indication he gave was he was going to go that way. And I think that a lot of the establishment senators would have fought, were going to follow Mitch's lead wherever he went. And at the very last minute, nobody knew how he was going to vote. I mean, it's, people forget. Nobody knew. Everybody, what's Mitch, Mitch going to do? And I, I believe it was the day before he made his announcement that he was going to vote to acquit Donald Trump. And now I, I kind of think he regrets that uh, now as as things have played out and and um, Trump has really turned on Mitch despite him saving his ass. But but yeah, Trump would be I think Trump would be gone today if Mitch had had gone to convict. And I, I think that's the greatest stain. There's a lot of bad things in Mitch's legacy. That's the worst one, I think. I mean, let's not forget what Mitch McConnell said about uh, January 6th and about Donald Trump as the instigator prior to or the, the day after January 6th, you know, when, when they were having those kind of uh, that Senate debate and everybody was you know, giving their little bit about it. You know, he, he effectively blamed Donald Trump and was very specific about, you know, who was at fault in terms of instigating the insurrection. And then... As with all of these guys, they go and meet Donald Trump for an afternoon tea and they come back fully brainwashed again. You know, yeah, it, it, I, there must be compromise, leverage, something. And and Mitch's wife resigned. You know, yes. she quit yes. um, right after January 6th, I think the next day. So, yeah, it definitely came as a surprise. And I think Mitch did the political calculus and figured out that you know, if Trump gets convicted, all those MAGA voters that he brought into the party are going to leave. They're going to form a third party. Trump might form a third party. And um, and I think he probably looked at that and figured, you know what, maybe, you know, the odds of him getting elected again are not good. So let's just keep it the way it is. I, I didn't realize that Mitch McConnell kind of started out working in Gerald Ford's Justice Department back in the 1970s and was a, was a moderate, effectively. He, he supported abortion rights and, and labor unions and, you know, had a reputation for you know, pragmatism. But, you know, as time went on, he became more hard-nosed. And, and, and as the party moved to the right, he moved to the right. and And so... You know, he he's really presided over this this shift to the right and, and now the far right. Yeah, I think that happened in the 90s, you know, when Clinton was president is when um, Mitch made his hard right turn. And he pro and he he was an ambitious guy. He wanted to get into the leadership and he probably figured that that's where where he needed to go um, to 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 get there, to be to be more conservative. So. He was definitely never a liberal, but he was always one of these guys that, yeah, he used to sort of like an Orrin Hatch, if, if anybody remembers him, a, a guy who was conservative, but 
was a deal maker. And I think he still has some of that in him. I mean, we've seen him this week pressuring Mike Johnson to get with the program. Yeah. Um, Over the know, government shutdown. still one of those old guard deal makers who will compromise and who can work with Joe Biden. And that's really why MAGA wants him out. That's why they yeah. don't like him. Yeah. Um, Joe Biden said he was sorry to hear that Mitch McConnell planned to leave his post as the top Senate Republican, remembering him as an antagonist who never, never misrepresented anything. He said, he and I have trust. We've got a great relationship. We fight like hell, but we never, never, never misrepresented anything. Um, this is, uh, he said this at the White House uh, earlier earlier today. He said, I'm sorry to hear that he's stepping down. I mean, they served in the in the Senate together for 24 years. But let's not also deny that Mitch McConnell has been very unwell. And, you know, he, he had a fall in, in he's had two freeze ups where he looks like he's been abducted by aliens from the inside and, you know, suddenly rendered speechless in the middle of a press conference. That is not something that the Republicans want to you know encourage people who are not well enough to serve. Right. Yeah. Well, that's true. And we don't know when those episodes are going to come back. You yeah. know, these guys, I just. You know, it's it's sort of the same thing I I felt about Joe Biden, and I felt like he's I, I just I I don't understand why none of these people want to retire. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like why they don't want to enjoy, you know, the last closing years of their life on the beach or relaxing or you know a vacationing. I mean, these guys they're just wired differently than maybe a lot of people. But you can't compare the two. I mean, Mitch go- McConnell and Joe Biden are completely different in terms of their their health and their ability to serve. I mean, if you saw Joe Biden on the Seth Meyers show a couple of nights ago, I mean, he was he was amazing. He was, you know, lucid, he was comedic, he had great comic timing. He was, you know, it, it proved the the critics the, the critics that proved to the critics that actually, you know, there is a, a lot of gas in the tank with Joe Biden. Whereas I can't imagine Mitch McConnell going on a late night talk show and being able to like, you know, shoot from the hip. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's not he's not leaving the Senate. I mean, he's stepping down from leadership. So it's not like he's going anywhere. But, you know, the other thing is, I mean, Joe Biden is running for to be president for almost five more years from right now. Mm. So that all I'm saying is like, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm yeah. saying what I'm saying is I don't know why <laughs> these guys don't want to enjoy a retirement, <laughs> why they want to work until they're 85. But he was saying. retired, though. Joe yeah. Biden was retired. effectively. Yeah, exactly. When, when he finished as vice president to Barack Obama. But it was it was Donald Trump and fine people on both sides that brought him out of retirement. Right. And he knew that he might be the only person that could win the election. And he was right. You know, and, and we keep underestimating this guy, and yet he keeps delivering. And and this is why he says, you know, don't, you know, judge me by on my record. And so I think we really need to get over this idea that Joe Biden is, is compromised in any way. Because I know when I'm 81, I'm going to need a lot of lie downs. You know, I'm going to need a lot of daytime sleeps, undoubtedly. This guy just keeps going and going. He's fit, he's well, he's slim, he's energized. I just cannot listen to this kind of negative critique of his health anymore when, you know, the worst thing that's happened to him is hurting his foot, you know, tripping over the dog. And since my I lost my virtual background, 
Speaking of dogs, my yes. cat is making a debut on the show here. I, I saw that. I, I'm pleased yeah. that you said it was your cat. Yeah. Um, let's uh, <laughs> let <laughs> let's talk about um, this issue with uh, Trump and his relationship with, with Black Americans, because you know, t tell us about the conference that he got up at. What was this conference that he spoke at? Um, it, it wasn't a majority Black audience. I think I saw one clip of like panning around that there was an awful lot of white people there. What, what was this conference that he pre he appeared at? Yeah, it was supposed to be a black conservative conference, right? Um, you know, black Republicans. Um, and he gave up and he got up and gave just the, one of the most offensive speeches you could possibly yeah. imagine. Yeah. Where he's trying to this is, you know, Donald Trump trying to relate to black people. Yeah. And what was what was really funny was, you know, he did back to back events. One was a, a evangelical event. So he's trying to re that. I think that was in the morning. And then the black conservative one is was in the evening. So in the evangelical event, he's trying to relate to them and he's talking about God and he's incredibly uncomfortable and out of place <laughs> doing that. Yeah. Then he goes to the black conservative thing and he's trying to relate to black people and he's telling them why black people should love him. And one of the things he mentioned was, you know, his his shoe, his shoe stuff and, you know, um, it, you know, it was just it was just incredibly uncomfortable um well, it was it was blatantly racist. I mean, so much blatantly of what he racist. says is is blatantly racist. And you know, I don't know why a single black American would vote for Donald Trump. I know that they do, and I know that there is you know there is a movement. It, it's not the movement that you see. We talked last week about you know four black people being paid to stand behind Donald Trump in, in the in the at the rallies, but there is the, uh, a a a black conservative movement that I don't know much about, and I appreciate that, but it's not anything like on the scale that Trump would think. I'll show this clip and we'll, we'll talk some more. And then I got indicted a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And a lot of people said that that's why the black people like me because they have been hurt so badly and discriminated against. And they actually viewed me as I'm being discriminated against. It's, it's been pretty amazing, but it. Yeah, he's, he's basically saying, just to translate, that black people do criminal stuff and then they get arrested. And, you know, so because I've been arrested, I, you know, they can relate to me and I can relate to them. It, it, it is it is blatant racism. And I don't know why it didn't get more press attention. Well, you know, it, it certainly caught fire in black social media. Right. You know, I saw a lot of the major influencers who are not really especially political that were pretty upset about those comments and and a, a lot of them were influencers who aren't especially in love with joe biden and are open to being sold by somebody who's credible and i think he really shot himself in the foot with that comment and a few of the other comments that he made um with them with a lot of them um just in terms of you know that just really caught fire across uh across social media um, it, yeah, it is incredibly racist, incredibly offensive. And I would think that that's going to be used in some campaign ads and targeted campaign ads in certain areas. The, the sneakers thing he claimed was, was Baron Trump's idea and design to kind of do sneakers. Baron's obsessed with sneakers. I'm going to do sneakers. And then, you know, again, trying to connect with the black community, completely offensive stuff, almost as offensive as this guy on Fox. 
Here it is. This is connecting with black America because they love sneakers. They're into sneakers. They love the, you know, this is a big deal, certainly in, in the inner city. So when you have Trump roll out his sneaker line, they're like, wait a minute, this is cool. He's reaching them on a level that defies and is above politics. The culture always trumps politics. And Trump understands culture like no politician I've ever seen. Question for you on that point, though. Yeah. Will the people that are excited about the sneakers and excited about Donald Trump Will that translate into them going out and voting for Donald Trump? Well, anybody willing to put 400 bucks down for a pair of sneakers? Yeah, I think that's commitment and love. I it's hope something. You're right. It's something. It's affection. I can't, I can't watch. I just can't watch. Who is that guy? Looks like Pee Wee Herman, a conservative Pee Wee, Pee Wee Herman. Who was that? He's a, a guest host for uh, Laura Ingram. Right. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. He's not. Not really that big of a <laughs> big of a person. Let's not but remember yeah, he, his he, name. He's like a Fox contributor, and he 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 he's on their on their payroll, and he fills in sometimes for yeah. a couple other hosts. But uh, I mean, the fact that no one of the four people on that set yeah. spoke up and said, "What the hell are you talking about, man?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, black people can relate to Trump because he's selling what eighteen dollars shoes for four hundred dollars. And he's saying if if people are first of all, how many how many black people actually bought those shoes? How, how many black people bought those shoes who aren't Trump supporters? I mean, I, I would say it has to be close to zero. That number has to be close to zero. Um, so, no, I don't. Number one, the shoe, the gold shoes are not going to help him win any black votes whatsoever. Um, I don't think him being indicted for 91 felonies is going to help him win any black votes or make them feel like he's simpatico with them. I don't think that's going to work either. And I think him that him and other Republicans claiming that it is going to work is only going to hurt him. It's going to cost him votes. They're so stupid. They're so dumb that they don't even know how to make the case here. If they're if they're trying to get black votes, they're certainly not going to get any black female votes. They know that. But if they're trying to get black male votes, there, there might be a path for them to do that in some ways. This is not that path. It, it, it shows how little they have learned and, and understanding the black American experience and having any kind of understanding of how America looks through a, a black lens. You know, and I, I, I'm married to a black woman, so I, you know, I say this with some experience because we talk about this stuff all the time at home. And I and I recognize that there is, you know, there's two completely different worlds. And Trump trying to reach out with this argument that that because black people are persecuted and he's persecuted that they are they are connected. It is so dumb. It is so offensive. It is so blatantly racist. And 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 yet he actually said it. Like it came out of his mouth. You know, it might be something that you you might toy with backstage, and one of your advisors would be like. You can't say that. <laughs> that is not acceptable. There is just no awareness. And it, and, it, and it strikes me that, you know, this, none of this, I think going forward, he's going to do more of this stuff. He's going to continue yep. to say more ridiculous, extreme, and, and you know, blind, just a total blindness to culture and society. And I think that will alienate him from voters going into November. Yeah, the more desperate that he gets. Yeah. I mean, when you really think about this practically, I mean, number one, how many black uh, voters are even going to consider voting for Trump? Number one, 
Number two is how many, if, if he's trying to relate them, them because they're also felons, let's say they also have felony convictions. Well, then they can't vote anyway in most places. So if he's trying to appeal to the black convicted felon vote yeah. that are inclined to vote, oh, it's not even that deep. It's not even that deep. <laughs> He, he can't he can't he's not even thinking that far wrong it is it is literally he's just being a racist and trying to excuse his own racism by being like you know jovial about it you know it's 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 just terrible this guy was the president and and now he's running again and he says shit like this I mean, it makes me really angry let's um we're gonna have to take a quick pause for our sponsor but i want to come back we've got tommy tuberville We've got we've got Byron Donalds talking about IVF. This IVF story is insane and the way this has blown up. So we'll talk about that and that and that with Ron, me, Anthony, back in just a second. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Are your teeth aging you? Food and drink are known to stain teeth. Coffee, wine, they stain over time. So what can you do to brighten your smile? Well, you should give Smile Actives a try. Smile Actives is safe, effective, easy to use, and will keep you smiling proudly. I personally have been to a dentist and had a teeth whitening treatment. It was painful, it was uncomfortable, and it was not a experience that I would want to repeat. Well, simply add Smile Actives Pro Whitening Gel to your regular toothpaste. Do it at home. It's been formulated with PolyClean technology to boost stain removal and deliver active whitening ingredients into teeth's grooves to get better whitening. People will start commenting on your whiter, brighter smile in just days. Smile Actives is the whitening boost your favorite toothpaste needs to give you the smile you deserve. Visit smileactives.com slash uncovered today to receive a special buy one Get one free offer with auto delivery plus free shipping and handling. That's smileactives.com slash uncovered. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And here they are. Um, okay, well, let's talk about Tommy Tuberville because, uh, you know, last week it, there was like a video that went out during the week, actually, of him talking about the IVF story but really not knowing what, what IVF is he obviously has absolutely no idea and th and that hasn't really changed but i just want to show this clip of him first talking about joe biden just check out the projection in this going to win anyway uh but uh i think they'll change probably around convention time move somebody in to, to try to get president trump to run for his money but joe biden he can't win he's trying to stay in there just so he'll stay out of jail to be honest with you interesting <laughs> senator trying to stay in just so he can stay out of jail does that sound familiar who, who else might be doing that i mean you know, Donald Trump is obviously running to stay out of prison. I mean, it's obvious. I mean, it's uh, it's his whole it's whole game plan. That's yeah. why he's trying to delay these cases until after the election. Uh, you know, it's so clearly obvious. And how is Joe Biden facing jail? What, what is he facing jail for? What what crime? I mean, even if you look at the Hunter Biden investigation, and even if you believe everything that comer and jordan are saying which is all lies yeah. but let's just assume you believe it um you know it's still not a crime at best it's impeachment at best you know it, it's a, it's an impeachable offense if you want to stretch it but there's no crime involved there's no criminal law that's violated so so the idea that like joe biden is running for president to stay out of jail 
Uh, I mean, it's just, it's utterly ridiculous. I mean, this guy comes up with something new and stupid every single day. And this kind of is all connected with this, you know, discovery that, you know, this 1023 form with, you know, they claimed when they were kind of trying to gather evidence against against Joe and Hunter Biden, it was Russian disinformation. Uh, I'll just show you a clip of Jim, Jim Jordan having to kind of answer questions on this very thing. Do you take back what you said about the president's involvement in a bribery scheme now that Alexander Smirnov has proven to have made it up and it was based off Russian intelligence? Doesn't change the four fundamental facts. Hunter Biden was on the put on the board of Burisma, gets paid a million dollars a year. You said, you said the 1023 is the most corroborating piece of information it you have. It corroborates, but it doesn't, it doesn't change those fundamental facts. So now- but It's not true. Well, so, okay, so it's, it's the, the FBI told us that this source was so, 14 years this source was a paid source by the FBI. When we, when we were trying to get the 1023, they told us, oh, this could jeopardize national security, the safety of this source, didn't want to release it. And now they're saying, oh, he, he, he gave false information. The other thing, there's a story out today uh, Scott Brady, the U.S. attorney, did check the travel records of this confidential human source and found that he was at those places he said he was. So, um, But your again, promotion of a bribery scheme was false. Not at all. We're, 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 we're looking at the four facts I just gave you. Those facts are true. Absolutely true. But fact, Smirnoff, Joe, Biden, Joe Biden bragged about it. But and, what Smirnov said is not true. Would you concede that? Well, yeah, that's what the FBI is saying. They're very clever the way they take these little tidbits. You know, it's like, oh, well, Joe Biden might have eaten a sandwich. And Hunter Biden, he also ate a sandwich. And, you know, okay, well, now we have proof. They definitely ate a sandwich. I mean, that's really what's going on here, isn't it? It's like things that are nothing that get confirmed to be nothing. They then go, oh, well, you know, there's proof that it happened. It was a sandwich. Yeah, it's like any one of these conspiracy theories where they take certain facts that happened that in and of itself are harmless or innocent, but then they stitch them together to create this conspiracy to yeah. make it look bad. Like, you know, uh, Hunter Biden was uh, called his father during while he was at dinner with the Burisma executives. Well, then we learned from Devin Archer. Well, he called his dad every single day. They talked yeah. every single day and they yeah. never discussed business. So there's nothing sinister there. Uh, Joe Biden supposedly called for the um for the prosecutor in ukraine this is one of his four facts he mentioned four facts one of his four facts is that biden called for the prosecutor in ukraine the chief prosecutor to be fired that is that that is true but but the lie is that he wanted him fired because he was in the process of investigating barisma this is exactly not true all the evidence shows that this is not true Joe Biden wanted him fired along with every member of the EU because he wasn't prosecuting Burisma, because he wasn't prosecuting corruption cases. So so this is what they do. They take these stray facts and they cast aspersions using these facts, but they can't prove them. They can't link any improprieties, as we've seen time and time again. So with Smirnoff and when what he's saying is. You know, we wanted this 1023. We wanted information about this informant, but the FBI wouldn't give it to us. Well, yes. Why? Because they had an ongoing investigation of this guy and they ultimately ended up indicting him and arresting him. And he was a flight risk to flee the country. So if they had turned that over to them, that would they would have blabbed that to the press. Yeah. This guy likely would have fled the country and never would have been indicted or charged. So, of course, they're not going to turn that over. But but they want to create that 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 is somehow sinister. 
yeah. that the FBI wouldn't turn over this document claiming they had an ongoing investigation. Why? Oh, they're trying to protect Joe Biden. No, it's because they're trying to indict this guy. I so mean, much so of it is, is, is how they do it. It's projection. But what it means, and when we watch these clips of Trump supporters at rallies, they hear little bits of this because it gets repeated oh, on yeah. Fox. And then they say, well, you know, Joe Biden's corrupt because or Hunter Biden's laptop because. And so they, they just they, they care. Like I said at the very beginning of this show, they care nothing for the detail. But if you can drop little crumbs then and you leave gaps, then people's imaginations fill in the gaps and they create the narrative. And that's yeah. when the conspiracy theories form. And, and, and that this is where we're at now. This is, a, this is America now. It's, it's riddled with false narratives and conspiracy theories so that people who don't have the time to do the research or don't get their news from credible sources, they just end up buying into it. Yeah. And when you're, you know, you're dealing with a simple audience and when you're throwing out all these, you know, terms like shell companies and you're going back eight, nine years and you're throwing out Burisma and Ukrainian names and Russian yeah. names and you're just throw, spewing all this garbage out there, people buy it. You know, it yeah. sound, sounds plausible. Um, but then when you drill down, when you get lawyers like Dan Goldman, Jamie Raskin, Jasmine Crockett, who are, who are pinning them down on these facts, they don't hold up. But, the, but the, the, the challenge for us is to explain to the American public as best as we can what the truth is in as simple a terms as possible because this stuff can be complicated. And I think I think I talked about this last week um, where I, I don't know if it was on the show or somebody else, but where David Korn wrote, wrote the two of us both wrote um, pieces on the same thing, on this exact same thing, yeah. the Smirnoff investigation. And David Korn, you know, wrote a very lengthy, long um, speech. Uh, I'm in a article in, in Mother Jones, and I wrote one <laughs> a lot shorter and succincter. Now, his was more comprehensive and went into more detail, but in my opinion, what we have to start doing is presenting things in a shorter form, in a simpler form that people can read in five minutes and understand what's going on. And and that's what I try to do. Well, that's why I created Five Minute News. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like people don't have the time. But, you know, because we do, we can do the research and then make the effort to translate it into simple explanations, which is what people need. And and I try really hard to, to simplify the language and make stuff easily digestible because no one's interested in politics. Let's be honest. So but if you can present things in a, in a more connective cultural way, then I think it, it, it chimes with people. And, you know, that's what I'm hoping is going to come out of the, you know, the, the Biden camp more is really thinking about how people, you know, people need to like repeat stuff. They need to hear something and, and think that it's important enough that they want to tell someone else. And, and you know, that's what we try and do at Midas Touch, certainly. Um, okay, let's stay on the IVF story now, because uh, we mentioned Tommy Tuberville not really knowing what it is. He's since kind of tried to get his head around it, but he's still struggling. You posted a very interesting clip of uh, Representative Byron Donalds, and just listen to his language on this. Said IVF is something that is so critical to a lot of couples. It helps them breed great families. Our country needs that. All right, let me ask you now about Ukraine. Why didn't she pick him up on the word breed? Why did she move on? What's, ha the worst. What's happening? You know, I, I didn't think it could get any worse than Chuck Todd, you know, and, and it, it got worse. How, I mean, I how just do you let about... that slide, though? You know, it's, it's 
because they, you know, let's be clear here, and maybe we can do some of the analysis. They do think of, you know, this as breeding, don't they? You know? Yes, they do. And, and, and so this is, you know, there's a whole conversation to be had about the idea of, you know, Republicans and also, you know, Christian nationalists and, and Christian extremists breeding to try and, you know, re- repopulate the country with the, their own. I mean, that's what this boils down to, right? Yes, this is all part of the great replacement theory yeah. stuff. If you go to any, watch any Charlie Kirk Turning Point USA conference or any of these right-wing conferences, CPAC, you're going to hear this theme, you know, and the theme is, People in the West are not getting married young. They're not building families. They're not having lots of babies. And, you know, we're going to be overtaken by other races, other religions, other cultures. And we need more, you know, Western Christian babies. Uh, we're in a population decline, et cetera, et cetera. And this all go ties into the border and immigration as well. So, yeah. So when you so really, I don't I don't necessarily think he meant to say that breeding but it that's it that's what's in their head it's in the subconscious you know, yeah he, he it's in the subconscious and so it comes out yeah um because that's the way that's the way they look at families now is you need to breed you need to have more kids you know um and it's just it's just an insane way of looking at it and it's also shows you what they think of women you know yeah. it really does yeah. and it and it shows you you know a lot of republicans now are coming out for ivf because they're saying well, oh, we want more babies and anything that'll give us more babies. That's a crazy argument as well to justify it. This is not about society needing more babies. This is about individuals doing what's best for their lives. But you never hear that out of Republicans. Let's remind people that the story originated in Alabama where the uh, Alabama court uh, basically said that frozen embryos were children. And and this is how it started. Uh, Donald Trump's been trying to kind of walk this back a little bit, hasn't he? He's trying to, you know, straddle both sides of this debate. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's straddling both sides. I think he's all in on because he saw the polls. I yeah. mean, I, I think uh, he didn't say anything for a couple of days because he wasn't really sure what to say. I mean, Donald Trump doesn't care about any of this stuff. I mean, we've already established he doesn't care about abortion. He no. doesn't care about any of this stuff, really. No. He just wants the votes. Um, he just wants the vote. So he's trying to figure out a way to kind of keep his keep his base happy, but understanding that he's got to win the center in November. And, you know, that's why he's come out for he's talked about a 16 week, you know, uh, uh, abortion, abortion law. law, which is basically Roe versus Wade, yeah. you know, which is crazy. But <laughs> yeah. he's so afraid of losing this election, and going to prison that at this point, he's willing to say anything about any of these issues. So. You know, he he saw the polling that showed that 86 percent of the public was against this ruling and he immediately came out, came out against it. It's again, the kind of flip flopping is going to hurt them in the long run, you know, not taking a position and sticking with it. And and then that position changing on a on a on a local level, state level, then on a national level with Donald Trump. Is there enough, you know, strategy between the kind of you know the local talking points and and then Donald Trump or is he just busking and playing to whichever audience he happens to be in front of I mean he is doing that but here's the problem for him and for the other Republicans I think they would very much like to 
be more liberal on abortion, but they're stuck. They can't. If they try, if Donald Trump actually goes out in a rally and says, I'm for 16 weeks, he'll get booed. I mean, they'll go crazy. That'll be one of the few things that will get him in trouble with the base because the base, the, the base believes that abortion is murdering babies. And so, you know, you can't come out now and say, okay, well, I've agreed with you about that for all these years, but now we need to win this next election so it's not murdering babies anymore. I mean, so this is the problem. So they're trying to find a way to message it where, you know, they're kind of not making their base mad, but fooling moderates into thinking that they're moderate on this issue. But the good news is on this particular issue where we've talked about Democrats struggle to message other things, this is an issue that Democrats message superbly and really understand the issues. Vice President Harris really understands the issues. And this is a this is a this is an issue where Democrats make some great ads. And so it's just not going to work. It's not going to work for Republicans. I've I've just made a video actually on uh, on on the abortion debate and how, in my opinion, the the election will come down to to this subject in November, because there's 167 and a half million women in this country, and in fact, women vote more than men vote, and and women really are the dri- the driving force for this election, and you know Trump has taken ownership of of reversing Roe. And, you know? and there's so there's so few single issue voters. I mean, yes. in terms of like where one issue is going to trump all other issues for them. And and the Republicans have this with like immigration, the border, yeah. you know, that there's there's a big chunk of the Republican base that that's all they care about, you know. But I think there's this big chunk of middle of the road women, even Republicans and women who have never voted before and maybe who aren't even registered, who are going to show up just for this one issue to vote on. And uh, that's that's a very powerful thing in, in politics when you have a single issue yeah. that can turn people out like that. And, it, and I do think that people like Mike Johnson are very naive about this because, you know, he's grown oh, up sure. in this extremist church, this Christian nationalist movement, where to them this is normal. You know, this whole, this whole um, anti-abortion stance is normal. And I do think that, you know, he's not he's not a smart guy. He's not a traveled guy. He probably thinks that everybody thinks like him. You know, I've seen that in so many of the interviews. He's so totally committed to, to his his views, his warped views of America. And I think that Republicans are going to get a nasty surprise in November. And And this is the problem with choosing a guy like Mike Johnson as your leader. This is really the issue because, you know, it's one thing to be a freedom. We've talked about this. The Freedom Caucus members, the far right members are all from districts that are like plus 20, plus 30 Republican where they can't lose. It's impossible for them to lose. So they can be backbenchers and lob bombs and throw bombs and criticize leadership and not compromise and not work with Democrats on any issue. And it doesn't hurt them in any way. And that's fine. I mean, that that works for that. That's the way Congress has been for 200 years. You've always had those handful of people who can get away with that because of the districts they're in. The problem is you don't put them in charge. You don't put one of them in charge. So you have this toxic combination with Mike Johnson of not only is he one of those guys who's very far right and is used to just doing whatever he wants, 
but he's also a fanatic. He's an evangelical fanatic. So he believes that God is on his side and God is guiding him and he talks to God and God is telling him what to do. So when you have someone like that who believes he's essentially doing God's will, he could have every single member of the house against him. He could have every member of the American public against him. He could be the only one. But if he believes that that's what God wants him to do, he will not back down and he will not compromise. And you cannot have that kind of a person as Speaker of the House. And that's why we're in the situation we're in right now. What, what just to predict, what's going to happen with um, the, the um, there's a couple of things that are at play now. There's money for Ukraine. There's money for Israel. But then there's also a, an impending government shutdown as well. And, and Mike Johnson is at the center of these decisions. Just give us a little prediction on how you think that's going to play out in the next week or two. I mean, the breaking news today is he's wanting another delay. You know, yeah. he's wanting to kick the can down the road for another week or two. And the thing is, you know, they just took almost three weeks off. Yes. You know, now they want more time. You know, and this is what everybody said when he sent them into recess. We, why did he send them in the recess? Because he had his leadership summit in Miami that he wanted to do, that he needed to go to. And his members wanted to go fundraise and do podcasts and make money. And so that's why he calls another recess. So then you come back with three days before the government's going to shut down and you're scrambling and you won't make a deal. And so now he needs more time. And, and you know, I think that I think that Democrats are inclined to give him, you know, a week or something like that. But um, I, I don't see this working out very well. I mean, when he came in, his his plan was. We're going to break the budget into, into nine different pieces. We're going to pass nine separate appropriations bills for each area of the government because that's what he always said he was going to do as a backbencher. This is yeah. a Freedom Caucus thing. We're not going to pass one big budget, up or down vote. We're going to break it into pieces and vote on each individual thing. And we all said it's not practical. It's not going to work. And what did, what did they find out? I think he passed four or five, but you got to pass all of them to, to have a budget. And they, they just they can't do it. And so where are we at? We're, we're in this mess. So you put this guy who doesn't know how to negotiate, won't compromise, think that God's telling him what to do. And then he's got the guy down in Miralago who wants chaos, who's telling him to block everything. So I don't know how this plays out. I mean, it looks like a shutdown, I would yeah. think. But Trump wants um, a shutdown, doesn't he? And yeah, the Republicans sure. want a shutdown. Because they're not patriots. They're, they're, they don't care about America. They don't care about civil servants, American workers who, you know, and invariably it's the people that work for, you know, the, the federal government who have to carry the can on this. You know, they don't get paid. And, and so this is the sadness, really. And I do wish that Democrats could really identify this and talk about it more. This kind of lack of patriotism when you actually want the government to shut down to make Joe Biden look bad. It, look, it, it's such a cheap dirty trick for for all the democrats criticism of mitch mcconnell and, yeah. and I, I think they're all justified the reason the number one reason why donald trump hates mitch mcconnell is because mitch mcconnell made deals with democrats to pass budgets and to keep the government open yeah this is what makes this is what has infuriated donald trump he's been calling on mitch mcconnell to shut the government down since he left office multiple times and he won't. And every time he goes along with, you know, makes a compromise with Pelosi or with the Democrats, Donald Trump goes nuts. And so um, 
But finally, you know, and, and, and McCarthy was the same way. You know, McCarthy was, a, for all his faults, McCarthy was a deal maker too. Yeah. He, he compromised. He made deals. But now he's finally got the guy and Mike Johnson who is digging his heels in and, and who won't budge. And this is Donald Trump. This is what Donald Trump has wanted since he left office from Congress. Well, you know, because Mike Johnson is not just a puppet, but he actually looks like a puppet as well. You know, he really does look like someone's got their hand up his jacket. Um, okay, let's, uh, I want to talk about this Forney Willis situation because, I, you know, I've been very moved by this, the way that they've turned this, they've turned this whole case around and put her on the stand instead of Donald Trump. You know, they've, they've made her the focus of this investigation. And a Trump lawyer is, you know, attacking her and her father and trying to get to the bottom of her relationship with this, this prosecutor. Um, what I have a little clip from the from this hearing. I'll just show it, and then we'll and then we'll talk All about right. it. Willis and Nathan Wade were in a romantic relationship, correct? Correct. And um, it began at the time that they were both municipal court judges, correct? I... Objection, Your Honor. Based on privilege. Overruled. Okay, overruled. I do not have knowledge of it starting um, or when it started. Um, Terrence, you told me that it started when they were both municipal court judges, though, correct? That is incorrect. Tell me something, Ron. If the prosecutor and Forney Willis are on the same side, what difference does it make if they were having a relationship or not? I just, you know, I appreciate that this is what they're trying to turn into some kind of, you know, a sticking point. But I just don't see how either of them are compromised if if they're having a private relationship. Here's here's their argument. Are you ready for this? I, I, I need to I'll hear it. What it no one else has been able to explain it to me. I'll tell you what it is. Okay. The argument is that they that Fonnie Willis only indicted Trump and all of these people so that she could hire her boyfriend, pay him tons of money hmm. out of taxpayer funds. And that they could take vacations together and do all these trips with all the money that she was paying him. In other words, that this whole RICO indictment was for her to create a job, a very well-paying job for her boyfriend. That That is that is the basically but that's why arguing. i don't get it because it, that just doesn't have legs it, it's 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 a preposterous it's preposterous argument but it's the excuse to air all this dirty laundry yeah which is a trump tactic isn't it yeah and and look it's it's messy it's ugly it's it's not cool for her to have a relationship with a, a subordinate employee. I mean, it, she pledged that she would never do that when she ran for office. And and so what they want to do is none of that is relevant to the case, but they just want to smear her yeah. and they want to smear him and they want to throw as much nonsense out there to the public because if the public doesn't believe that these prosecutions are legit, then you're going to see that reflected in the polls, which it is somewhat where you have People are asked, you know, if Donald Trump is convicted of some of in Georgia, will that change your vote? And many people are still saying no. Now, some are saying it will, but they're saying no because they are buying into this stuff that all these prosecutions are rigged, that they're all not legit, and these prosecutors are all rogue. 
So you've seen them go after Letisa James, of course. You've seen them go after um, um, the prosecutor, uh, the uh, the Manhattan District Attorney. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but um, they, they've gone after him. Yep. You know, they've gone after Fannie Willis, and they've gone after uh, um, Jack Smith as well. Personally. But what is the what is the theme here? You know, here's here's the thing. The theme is racism, as as I see it. Right. Yeah. And it's something that, again, the media is not really picking up on is that they see Fawny Willis or Letitia James or even Judge Tanya Chuck as, as easy targets for racism. You know, why are black women trying to prosecute a rich white man? You know, this is this is the patriarchy, but it's also racism, systemic or blatant, however you want to look at it. And, and that's how I felt when I was watching Fawny Willis giving evidence is that you know this is this is just racist and the judges in new york are jewish and yeah. i think they've i don't know if jack smith is jewish but he's trump has implied that Trump has claimed it yeah yeah said, why so, did he change his name what was his name before he kept saying yep. there's that steady theme running through it and to some extent you know fania and, and her dad even innocently without meaning to played right into their hands in, in some of their testimony because they would they kept saying like this is a black thing like for example yeah. keeping cash six months cash yeah and they and they equated that to the black experience of sometimes the fa the father said sometimes my they wouldn't take my credit card yeah so I always carry cash so when they brought up sort of um race in their testimony which both of them did a few different times it plays right into the right wing hands they they blew that up in their media saying see, well they don't care know. that it's true i mean that's the other yeah. thing again not being able to see the the world through through a, a black lens or america through a black lens it, it's it's very sad that you know this is still happening you know donald trump at one hand you know at a, at a black conservatives conference trying to convince people that he is as persecuted as black people and then the next thing you know his lawyer is trying to take down Fawny willis for having a consensual relationship with an adult it's so racist yeah it really is um and, and it goes to show like what we talked about when you're when you're prosecuting somebody like trump you know you got to have your own house buttoned up because they're going to come for you yeah in every way that they possibly can um so and when you you know when you're when you're carrying when you're having a relationship with the other prosecutor who's prosecuting donald trump that's a recipe for disaster yeah yeah it's it's all low-hanging fruit and Trump yep. is, is not frightened to pick it. Um, okay, we haven't got long left. I want to talk about this uh, argument between Mark Cuban and, and Elon Musk. Just uh, I'll, I'll put the uh, I'll put the posting. I think it was a tweet, wasn't it, up on the screen here? But uh, this is what uh, Mark Cuban posted. Just to explain to us the story behind this. Yeah, they've been in a a running debate for a couple of weeks now about. Um, about DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and corporate uh, environment, and uh, where, you know, Cuban has been really making some really good arguments and taking on right wingers. See, I don't really debate them on social media because I don't think there's much point to it, but Cuban certainly is not shy and not shy about taking on Elon Musk either and libs of TikTok, as you see here. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, here's the thing. I think people need to talk about Mark Cuban as a future presidential candidate. Oh, really? Interesting. I, I think that he's a very intriguing person 
I mean, obviously, he is a real billionaire, very successful, yeah. pretty progressive. Um, you know, own his own small. He's in the healthcare business. He's in the that's right. He set up an business. online pharmacy to try the, that is has transparent Health. pricing, so they only yes. make five dollars profit on each transaction. Yeah, I mean, this guy, this guy is what Musk claims to be. That that's that's I think the point I want to make is that. Musk claims to really care about humanity and people and advancing the cause of humanity, but I don't think he really does care about those things. I think he has a different, a much different agenda. But I think Mark Cuban really does, and you see that he's a he's got a good soul and a good heart. I don't know much about his politics. I just you know know from listening to him and following him, but I don't even know if he's a Democrat or an independent. I don't know what he is, but. I think if there's anybody out there who's not in elective office right now, who's sort of outside the political sphere, like a like a Trump, yeah. but who's a real legitimate person, not <laughs> who, a fake, who has a who has a soul and, yeah. and an element it's of Mark goodness Cuban. inside of them. Yeah, I mean, if I could pick any like oligarch billionaire out there to run for president, I mean, I think he'd be might be my choice. It's a very interesting position. I need to do some research. I think we both need to do some research, don't we? We need yeah. to kind of really look into this guy and, and take a look. There is a caveat to all of this. And does he want to be president? You know, <laughs> this is the Michelle Obama issue, isn't it? Everyone's saying she should run, she should run. And she's like, hell no, I'm, I ain't running for president. I've been there and I, it's not something I want to go back to. That's um, why, you know, um, I think I think the way he t- he's talking lately, it yeah. seems like he's getting into politics. Interesting. That's all I'm going to okay. say. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm down for your predictions, Ron, you know, always. <laughs> um, there, was a, there was another tweet, actually, just on the old uh, kind of Twitter front. This one came from uh, Christopher Rufo um, talking about um, – it's really an exposure, really, about how Republicans are coming – after you know, birth control now, you know, after the abortion uh, reversal, suddenly now contraception is on the is on the um, people's minds and, and certainly the, the 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 pill as well. This uh, message, this posting said, so what the pill causes health problems for many women. Recreational sex is a large part of the reason we have so many single mother households, which drives poverty, crime and dysfunction. The point of sex is to create children. And this is natural, normal and good. I mean, this goes back a little bit to what we were saying earlier about, uh, you know, what Byron Donalds was saying, uh, you know, about about how you breeding families rather than, you know, making babies for the right reasons. Tell us about the story behind this. It absolutely ties into that. Absolutely. I mean, he could have stopped with the pill causes health problems for many women. Okay, that's true. It does. Um, But he didn't stop there. Okay, he's using that as his excuse to get to the point that he's really trying to make. And by the way, who is Chris Rufo? Chris Rufo is the person who is behind all the CRT scam stuff. He's the person that Ron DeSantis put in, made a trustee as part of the Florida University system to dismantle um, one of the most progressive, you know, liberal colleges in Florida. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a bad dude. And but usually he doesn't talk about this subject, but here he is. And and we've always said that, you know, Republicans are trying to get into the bedrooms. You know, they're trying to to impose their values, which aren't even real. They're fake. You know, they don't even live their lives 
the way that they preach to other people. No, there's a double standard with all of this. Yeah, but this is how they want other people to believe. So, yeah. So I mean to say, so so what you're saying is the pill is bad, and oh by the way, the pill has led to since the '60s recreational sex, sex out of marriage because now it's safe and you don't have to worry about being pregnant, and that has led to single motherhood, poverty. You know all these. Okay, so what are you proposing exactly? Okay, let's assume everything you just said is true, and I'm not I'm not going to stipulate it is, but let's just assume that. What is your solution to ban birth control? Because when you really think about it, Roe versus Wade, the precedent for Roe versus Wade was Griswold versus Connecticut. It was based on the Griswold decision. The Griswold decision said contraception is a constitutional right. So it, it's not too far to if you're if you're against Roe versus Wade and you think that's bad law for you to then say, you know what, contraception is also not, you also don't have a right to that. I mean, it's very worrying, isn't it? That that really, I think all of these aspects, we've talked about the racism, which seems to underpin so much of GOP policy, even, you know, gerrymandering and all sorts, you know, this racism is very much at the, at the heart of a lot of that. But also this misogyny, this blatant misogyny, controlling women, and this goes back to the Christian nationalist movement where, you know, women take a, you know, a very subservient role in the, in the Christian family to breed children, as they describe, but also to play second fiddle to their man. I mean, a, the double standard is that, you know, so many of these people are living double lives anyway. And, you know, there's a lot of them that are gay and a lot of them that are having extramarital affairs. And it all gets covered up by claiming that, you know, God is there is their guiding light, shining light. And, and, and it's, it's just rubbish. But I do think that it's important that this stuff is exposed in the lead up to November because, you know, the GOP is coming on after your human rights, your right to contraception. I mean, it's just crazy that, that, that they think that politicians can meddle in this type of stuff. It, it, it's, it's dystopian. Yeah. And they've all, you know, you also hear them sometimes in these conferences slip and they'll say, um, they'll say, well, we need to get to a point in our economy where families can afford to have moms stay home and raise children again. And we can get back to like the 1950s where you had yeah. one breadwinner, you know, in the stay at home mom. So, so they, they tip their hand all the time with their little comments that really that is what they want. You know, they, they want to go back to a traditional, you know, stay-at-home mom situation where women stay home with men, have lots of kids. It's also why they're against gay, you know, gay relationships as well for the same reason. Um, anything that liberates women and advances them and makes them independent, they're against it. And and they'll find their excuse. Like the excuse here is public health. It's yeah. bad. It's bad for your health to take the pill. We're just looking out for you. And, and, you know, it would be remiss not to mention that so much domestic violence and domestic abuse is, is baked into this as well. And, and that there is a whole, you know, there, there's a whole subject, we don't have time for it today, but, you know, of where the, these relationships are so um, dysfunctional and, and women bear the brunt of a, a lot of this. And then there's the homeschooling stuff as well, which again, you know, yeah, women have that, to... That ties into it. Ties yep. into it as well. Okay, listen, we have to finish in a, in a couple of minutes. Um, 
But I want to end with George Santos because he didn't go to uh, CPAC, did he? And he had quite a lot to say about it. Let's have a little listen to him. Hey, everyone. George Santos here. Just wanted to stop by to say hello and just to kind of like give people a little two cents of a my thoughts and why I didn't go to CPAC and my thoughts on CPAC because I've been asked that many times. Why have I not gone two years in a row after going for many, many years? Um, a, I don't think it does anything. B, I think it's a waste of money. And C, it is supposed to be something to motivate children and young conservatives to feel energized. But I don't see CPAC doing any of that other than taking all that money from the donors and hobnobbing it up to the high life in sweet parties, doused in champagne and liquor and food and all this bourgeoisie stuff, really nothing to advance the cause. It's a big party, right? So it, it's almost like the frat parties that Matchlap was either uh, uh, never actually attended or maybe the ones that he just reminisces about so much about that he wants to have them every year. So you you pick. I don't know. This isn't indicative on criticizing Matt. I just don't think it's a place where there's anything productive going on other than gossip, nasty vitriol, and complete, utter chaos of the party tearing itself apart from the inside. Now, I do have friends who speak there, and I love them. And hey, you're the last saving grace that place has. But the reality is, it's a dying model. CPAC is so over. People aren't even there for the speeches. The speeches this year, people were speaking to half-empty uh, ballrooms. And the worst part is, is people are always constantly mistreated as if they're scum of the earth. I've experienced that firsthand. So look, take it as you wish, but especially after seeing one of my former volunteers and constituents be mistreated, him and his son, who's a special needs child, by the way, were mistreated and asked to give up their seats. It's just baloney. I'm so done. Guys, don't fall for it. It's a trap. Bye. Thanks, George Santos. A beautiful upper set of porcelain veneers there, we should, uh, we should note. I mean, I can't, you know, I don't know. I've never actually wasted any time analyzing this guy because I knew that he was a flash in the pan. You know, he'd be in, he'd cause trouble, and then they'd get him out. And he's just trying to kind of stay in, stay in the picture, isn't he? Until he goes to, to prison. <laughs> you know, he's got his <laughs> trial in September. Right. But uh, you're right. I mean, I, I, either he's using Smile Actives or he's got a great new set of veneers from <laughs> doing all those cameos uh, because they're, those chiclets are, are blinding. Yeah. But, you know, he made he made it. But cutting through all of that, he makes a great point. Everything he says in there is true. And that... That's sort of what I like about it. He's, he's like he's saying what a lot of people won't say. He's telling the truth, which is, you know, CPAC was for many years the only game in town. It was the event of the year for the Republicans, you know, the big and they all fought with each other over who was going to get the speaking engagements, who was going to get invited, who wasn't. It was a big deal. But then other groups, all these other groups like Charlie Kirk and others have created these knockoff events that are very similar but sort of younger maybe a little hipper and and you know better more edgy speakers and cpac has started to lose a lot of its popularity what he said is true the schlaps matt and mercedes got very arrogant got very greedy very full of themselves and um you know treated people like garbage and so people were already very upset about the schlaps and upset about cpac and they had all their alternatives 
Then what happens is Schlapp gets the lawsuit by the, the male staffer who said that he molested him, basically, the male staffer who worked for Herschel Walker. And, you know, as we've talked about, when you have allegations that you're, you're closeted gay, that doesn't play very well in, in the right-wing community. And you heard him make, when he's talking about Matt Schlapp misses his days as a frat boy, that's what Santos is talking about. Right. He's, he's making the illusions that he's closeted gay. And so he's right. I mean, CPAC is completely going downhill, falling apart, which is good. And the only thing keeping it propped up right now is Trump, you know, with that Trump is the headliner every year and he agrees to do it. If Trump either isn't able to do it because he's in prison or or he decides not to do it, I think CPAC's done. Yeah. Well, they had, they had the former British prime minister, um, Liz Truss, who was prime minister for just 49 days, who has now embraced the far and extreme right in order to sell her books. So, and that was pretty embarrassing from, from my end. Um, listen, we have to finish. I just would un- want to announce the breaking news that that is the US Supreme Court has agreed to decide Donald Trump's claim of immunity from prosecution on charges he brought by a special counsel involving his efforts to overturn his 2020 election loss. That's going to be heard in April. Um, so that is uh, yeah. the breaking news. And, and stay with Midas Touch for uh, more on that as the as the story uh, develops. But literally, that just broke a couple of minutes ago. Uh, Ron Filipkowski, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. We'll continue to read your efforts on MidasTouch.com, where you are editor-in-chief. I'm Anthony Davis. Join us next Wednesday at the same time. We'll do another Uncovered for you. And if you'd like to listen to the audio podcast, you can download that later tonight. Have yourself a great week.